What's up? Welcome in. According to sources, the podcast right here, A2S Network. As always, I am your guy, SD2 Mike Sean Davis, and I'm running this three-man weave. I'm in the middle. I got my guys running the wing, my boy C4 Dunk, Chris Kaysen, and Mr. Crawford D, Brian Crawford. A very solemn podcast and a start to a podcast. I just want to get you guys' thoughts about, you know, where you were when the news came down and just your thought, overall thoughts on the loss of uh, Kobe Bean Bryant. Man, like I was telling you, man, I was in the bed. You know what I'm saying? Like I had to, I had to work that night because I do the morning shows. And um, like I said, I just remember just looking at my phone for the last time. I was just picking it up, you know, just going through Twitter, and I popped on, you know, popped on Twitter, and the homie Jr. Bang, like it was the first tweet that I saw and he was like nah man not Kobe and I was like what and it's always funny because like bang then like just it's crazy like he didn't broke a couple deaths I think he broke Prince for me like a couple more you know what I'm saying so like if he talking about it to me it was like credible and then I got to going through it and I seen the TMZ headline and I remember <laughs> sitting up man and I was like like there's no effing way and my wife, was, she was laying next to me. She was like, what? And I was like, Kobe Bryant died in a helicopter crash, man. She popped up and snatched the phone out of my hand and, like, just immediately started crying. And it was just like, it was just, you know, now I'm like, I'm up, you know what I'm saying? I'm trying to figure out what's going on. I'm, I'm calling people, texting people, and, um, you know, just... I don't know how, you know, you, you know, the misinformation comes out. But then, like, once you find out, you know, it was Kobe and then it was Gigi, it was like, it was just, it's one of them things, man, like, you would just never forget. And it didn't really hit me until, like, later that night. And, like, that's when I cried, man. And I cried for, like, three days, you know what I'm saying? Like, just every single night, just thinking about it. Like, you couldn't get away from it. Like, I had to put it in my show the next morning. So I had to sit there and I had to watch it. And it was just, it was just one of them things, man. Like, and y'all know, you know, what it was for me with Bane. It was just, it just hurt, man. So I just, I don't know, man. Like I'm, I'm still kind of like just in shock over it. I don't even know what to say. Uh, yeah, for me, I Sunday I can just remember Going to the gym, playing in, you know, open line session. I play with with a few guys, and you know, going to another gym just to stretch and everything afterwards. And you know, whenever you, you know, not wasn't paying attention to my phone, and you know, whenever you look down at your phone and you see, you know, over ten notifications, and it was from all close friends and family. I had like a couple of missed calls too, so immediately my mind went to, oh man, what 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 happened? And you know, I started opening the text messages, and you know, I got these links and everything. Like, yo, is this true? Is this true? And just like 
I think everybody has like this sense of disbelief first, so we're just waiting to get it confirmed. You know, because you know, out of every anybody or any athlete, like not Kobe, you think of like there's right. no way something else like this has to be misinformation. But you know, I was waiting on a couple uh, people to hit me back just to confirm because you even hate reaching out to people like, yo, is this true? Is this true? And, you know, once it was confirmed, there's just like that empty feeling. Um, and I can't even, you know, explain it. You know, the fact that it's hit, it hit everybody. I think the same. There's that disbelief. Then there's that empty sinking feeling. There's still the disbelief. Then you hear, you know, his daughter, you know, was on the helicopter with him then. You know, the rest of the families on there, it just, I don't know, it takes away so much from you, um, just knowing that, you know, his daughter was next to him on there. Uh, we have daughters, you know, you guys have, you guys have daughters, I know it hits you like the same, it's, it's tough, it's tough, you know, but, you know, I definitely, you know, shed a couple of tears because. You know, out of even I'll say more so than Mike for me, like I grew up with Kobe more so than Mike. I was born in '85, and you know my recollections of Mike's mostly are from you know, the earlier years and towards the tail end of his career. But it felt like I grew up with Kobe, so a large part of just basketball for me was shaped just from that era in the mid-90s, like, that's when I called myself, like, really basketball conscious, like, right around 90, like, 94, 95, 96, and, you know, the, the fact that he, like, passed in that way, you know, it's just so, so unexpected. I mean, because normally, you know, you, you're able to see the legends of the game get older. You're able to see them come back to the game, be ambassadors, see them at the all-star games in the future talking with the new generation and you know Kobe was ducking into the uh, Hall of Fame like so you're thinking about his speech and everything who's he gonna get to induct him you know and like he'll never get to do that but even more importantly you know for the families affected like just to have you know moms lost uh, you know Kobe's family you know, a sibling, you know, a husband. Like, so it's just heartbreaking all around um, when you think about just what I think Kobe's after basketball life was going to be probably even greater than what he was able to accomplish on the court. It's, he was just getting started with a lot of things. And I mean, especially when you looked at what his daughter was had the potential to become. You know, it's heartbreaking all around. I'll never forget, and you know, still right now, it, there's a little part of me that's thinking like it still can't be real. But you know, you sell memorials, tributes, and you know, there's no way to escape it. It constantly hits you, you know, each day. You know, so definitely sad. Man, you know, you talk about you know having you know kids and daughters. You know what I'm saying, like. I got a daughter named Gianna, you know what I'm saying? Like, my, my second daughter's name is Gianna, you know what I'm saying? And it was, 
I don't know, man. It, it's just it's just so incredibly sad. Like, you know, you talk about, you know, obviously what happened to Kobe and his daughter, but you got, you know, a mother, a father, a daughter, you know, all gone, you know, and, and I think they got like a little sister and brother at home. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. like, like, you got two kids that don't have parents. They don't have a sister. You know what I'm saying? You got another you know, lady that died, the coach, you know, and she had kids and her husband, you know, doesn't have, you know, a wife, those, you know, those people don't have parents. And it's just so sad, man, because this is, it's like an incredible human tragedy, you know, just more than anything else, because you just, you just understand like the sense of that loss, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And, and just what that feels like and you know for me and you know and chris you know it's you know like you said i was telling somebody else this so you know like i grew up on mike but i grew up with kobe you know what i'm saying like he's only two years younger than me you know what i'm saying so like i saw like his entire basketball career you know what i'm saying and then for the back half of it you know i was lucky enough to you know be in the same room with the man you know watch him up close you know watch the game up close watch him play the game up close and then you know see him before the game just be so locked in and you know and, and just be prepared and then just to see him after the game just completely just chill and just you know just hanging out and just talking to people and just you know laughing and making jokes and taking pictures and shaking hands you know what i'm saying like that type of thing and so you know it was for me, I think, you know, just the thing that just affected me the most is, you know, like I said, not just the the human side of it, the loss just for everybody. Like, you know, Flea was saying last night, you know, at the game, like just for all of that to just stop, like it's just over. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that hurts a lot. But then just for me personally, just to be fortunate enough to say that, yo, like, you know what I'm saying? I was there for, you know, I seen it up close you know what i'm saying that 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 moves me probably more than anything you know because it's just you know you just want you you start to understand like you know just how fortunate you were to be in certain situations and it's just something you know i just never you know i never again take for granted or you know just ever forget and once again we're talking about basketball legend kobe bryant he will be in the hall of fame enter into the hall of fame in the fall of 2020 uh, he was involved in helicopter crash in Calabasas, California, last Sunday, along with his 13-year-old daughter, Gianna Bryant, uh, also known as Gigi, and seven others. And uh, our hearts and prayers do go out to the families of the other seven people that died in that crash last Sunday. Uh, when we talk about Kobe, and you guys touched on it, and B.C., you and I have had several conversations and debates over Kobe Bryant because because Kobe was viewed as the guy that was coming for my guy. You know what I'm saying? It's like Mike is my guy. I grew up with Mike. So when Kobe comes in, there was so much respect on my end that I actually had to become an adversary when it came to like my view of Kobe, because I had to will some type of boundary or some type of wall that would be erected to stop him from overtaking my goat. If that makes <laughs> sense. 
And so when we would debate, I would simply try to find any flaw I could whether it was in his character, whether it was in his play. I remember we would debate, and I would always throw up the stat like, man, he's two games under 500 in games without Shaq and without Pau Gasol. And I would just try to point out, like, yeah, if he didn't have a big man, he wouldn't be able to do this and he wouldn't be able to do that. But somehow, some way, as his career continued, he found a way and the way he approached the game and what he did on the court to win me over and finally bring me over from the dark side, per se, to be able to really appreciate, like, man, this dude walked through the doors at 18 years old and then was basically held back by Dale Harris. People won't talk about that. He'd probably be further along on the all-time scoring list if Dale Harris hadn't sat him behind. I mean, of course, he was sat behind pretty good professionals in Eddie Jones and Rick Fox. But if he was allowed to play like his contemporaries that were on the uh, that cover of the 1996 Slam magazine, man, who knows where he might be right now on the all-time scoring list. And so with all of that being said, for me, Kobe Bryant is one of those people, as you'll see in other areas of life, where we see a culture shift. And there are certain people that come on the scene when culture begins to shift and they become iconic because they are connected to the shift and they become the poster child of the shift. And for me, that was something that I always thought Kobe Bryant still is, will always be. And some people might even connect him to Allen Iverson in that sense. But Kobe Bryant and why he was able to be so iconic, especially to the players, the current players in the NBA, it's amazing to see just the way they speak about him have spoken about him over this past week man you know i thought about something that like it was it was weird like i thought about something that you know my mother had said to me a long time ago just like randomly you know she was just like you know the colors of purple and gold are royalty you know and then you know i'm just over this past week just looking at like the outpouring of like love and you know people that have just I mean, cried, man. I'm talking about tears, like cried. Like even if you didn't know the man, never even saw him play live, like you just cried. You just seen these people just crying. I'm telling you, just on TV, just crying. Just everybody just crying. And it was like, you know, that only happens to like special people. You know, I've only seen that happen one other time, and that was for Michael. You know, Michael Jackson. You know what I'm saying? Like, and right. you know, I'm talking about. I got a cousin, man. Like, I'm talking about stone cold with it you know and when michael jackson died like my man cried like a baby you know what i'm saying so it was like that's the only other time i've seen that but it was like mike didn't make me cry like this man like he didn't make me cry at all to be honest with you like like i've been crying like tears just because just from like a basketball aspect of it right so like i saw basically all of mike's career and i saw all of Kobe's career. So just imagine that. Like, there's like, for me, there's like just complete overlap. Like, no fall off at the two guard position. And then you throw D Wade in there. You know what I'm saying? And then you throw T Mac in there. So, like, no fall off at the wing that I've seen in my basketball life for over 20 years. You know? And so just looking at it like that, man, the man was just like the ultimate competitor, the ultimate technician. I'm talking about he had just stuff in his game that just was. 
it was it was flawless man and he was fearless and so just watching that like you you appreciate that part of it so i get what you're talking about with mike you know and, and mike was the reason like all of us love basketball but like i said man kobe was our peer you know what i'm saying like that dude is in our age group you know what i'm saying like he's not that much older or younger than all of us on you know on this podcast you know what i'm saying like that's basically one of the homies and it felt like it felt like that you know what i'm saying it felt like somebody in your family died because basketball all connects us and it makes us family and so it's just it's just always just gonna be weird and you know and then you see what what Gigi was doing you know she was about to just bring in a whole new crew of fans to like women's basketball like everybody was pulling for it like she she was nice at 13 you know what i'm saying like my son is 14 years old you know like this is you know they in that same little era and it was gonna be fun and exciting to see and and, and you know kobe was about to hit the you know the aau circuit you know what i'm saying like you know he was gonna have a mamba academy team and eybl he was about to be a lot more accessible in terms of just people just being able to like show up someplace and you know kobe bryant be in there and like all of that just stops and it's just that part of it is just painful because like chris said like he was about to do something big in the second half of his life post basketball that was just going to eclipse everything else and it's amazing because we interviewed cappy pondexter and she talked about that in her retirement when she announced one of the things that she really wanted to be involved in was uh camps that were going on at the mamba academy and we jokingly asked her like man are you thinking about moving back to chicago or possibly the midwest and she's like no like i'm i'm out here I'm staying out here and I'm involved with Mamba Academy and doing anything that I can help with Kobe. And she also spoke glowingly about how Kobe had become such a positive asset and a promoter of the WNBA and how that would help impact the league in the future. And you just saw this past year, man, the salaries went up for the league and hopefully it continues to go up and the league continues to blossom. But like you said, man, it's just missed opportunities. I hate to see it. It's almost like the only thing I can liken it to is because it happened on a Sunday morning for me as well. I remember coming out and my wife right now, she was my girlfriend at the time. She stopped me and she asked me if I was okay. And I said, what are you talking about? And she was like, you haven't heard? I was like, heard what? And she was like, Biggie died. Ooh, I remember that day. And I was like, what? I left church, though. I left church. I remember that like, day. I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. And it's like I had this exact same feeling. It was like, man, I don't want to be here. I don't want to go to work. I don't want to talk to nobody. Man, time just stood still. And it was like, nah, this has to be a dream. This has to be a dream. And I just feel like it's a missed opportunity. I look at what are we missing? What was next on the horizon for him? What was next on the horizon? Well, we know Gigi had already spoken that she was going to go to Connecticut and go into the WNBA, but you just feel like, man, out of all of these missed opportunities from their lives and how they would impact the world, impact culture, impact sports, it's the same thing I felt about Big. Like, man, we're not getting another album? I'm not getting right. a, <laughs> you know? Uh, man, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, and the, the tough, I mean, I think more we should like at least command like the the teams that had to play following that news. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people, and this is going back to my youth when everybody used to always tell me it's just a game. It's just a game. And 
It's simplicity, yes, but when you look at everything that, you know, not only just basketball, but sports in general does to culture, period, it brings people from all walks of life together. So in that way, it's like a this connective ligament we all have. Like, you know, there's Kobe fans all across the world who are grieving. There's Philippines, you know, there's a mural out there on the court in the Philippines, which was erected within hours of, you know, the news. So it's kind of, you know, just having to go out and play a basketball game after that and, you know, still perform at a high level is so difficult just because this guy had touched so many lives, both directly, indirectly, to current players, to players that are coming up. And, you know, I can imagine, you know, still throwing on my jersey and going out there and playing with, you know, that news, you know, that fresh. So, and even last night, I mean, you know, just looking at the way the Lakers went about uh, things. I mean, it's just emotionally draining, you know, and then to have to go out there and compete is so difficult. So I just, you know, commend the people that were able to go out there and, you know, try to be strong and still, you know, do what they're paid to do. But yeah, it's just extremely difficult. Man, man that's up. why I say, that's, I was just about to say, man, shout out to Dame, man. Yeah. Cause, yeah. You know, like, it would have been, yes, it would have been dope and it would have been nice to see the Lakers win. But man, Dame went out there. I'm talking about, he did what Kobe would have done. You know what I'm saying? Like, he went out there and he played and he put on the show for the people. And, the, you know, in the midst of all of that sadness, because like watching the beginning of that, man, it, it felt like a funeral. Like it was yeah. like, how do you like, like, how do you have Usher open up singing Amazing, Amazing Grace, Grace, man? Like, come on, man, with the with the flowers at the center court. Like it was it was bad. Like it was it was not an environment for a basketball game. You know what I'm saying? And like and and Dane went out there and, and, and put on a show and made it all right. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. just for, you know, just for a couple of hours, man, like, made it all right because you seen, like, and you really seen that all week, man. Like, you seen that with Trey Young. You seen that, like, with Buddy Hill. Like, and just even, like, looking on social media, man, I just seen a couple kids wearing number 24, probably had, like, the game of their life. You know what I'm saying? Like, all in a, all in a week. So, like you said, Chris, like, that just connective tissue, man. Like, it just, it just worked through all of us, man. It's just, it's just, just an incredible loss, just not just for sports, but just humanity in general, man. Cause yeah. like you said, he was he was about to do big things. And you know, like I was saying, like you was about to be he was about to be much more accessible just because of his daughter, you know, and, and just because of basketball. And like I said, if you was be fortunate enough to kind of be in them situations, man, like you would have seen them more. And it was that was just that would have just been cool, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and uh, the just going back, just looking at the last, the later part of his career and just in retirement, just how a lot of people have said this, just how happy he seemed. I think so much of, you know, his career, like I would say probably 15, 16, 17 years of that, he was so determined, like so hell-bent and focused on, you know, just either proving people wrong, trying to eclipse Jordan. And he, I don't think he like got a chance to really enjoy it just because he was so driven, so focused. You hear the stories from everybody, trainers, guys who've been teammates of his. And you look at the later part of his career when he became more of that guy that 
you know, would lend people advice. He became more accessible to a lot, a lot more guys. I mean, and then seeing him as a father, you know, even getting on Instagram, getting on Twitter, you got to see more so of what made him him, you know, with the ESPN, the details, just how he thought the game, how he broke the game down. So all of these stories that you always heard that were folklore, how how accessible he became, and you finally got to see the ins and out of how this guy thinks, how he was as a father, how he was as a family man, you know, just showed like an evolution. And I think he was so, he was in such a better place as, you know, just, I don't have to worry about basketball anymore. I'm devoting all of myself to, you know, family and giving back to the game that's given me so much. And like I said, I mean, when you look at what he could have achieved, I mean, we talk about, you know, Nipsey Hussle, you know, getting gunned down last year, the things that he could have done, you know, after that, that's like, that's one thing that, you know, I think is going to sit with a lot of people. It's like, what was next? What was yet to come? Because the way Kobe thought and the way he spoke things into existence and the way he like, had things mapped out, you can only imagine what what was next, what was coming down, you know, five, 10 years from now. I mean, so that's that's the sad part. That's what's going to sit with me a lot. I mean, I know the Mama Academy is still going to go on in him, Gigi's name, and I still think they'll be able to accomplish a lot just in helping the game with youth, women's sports and all of that. But when you think about just the mind behind all of that, that's kind of gone. And now you have to basically take what he represented and try and carry that on and, you know, to hopefully fulfill some of the things that he would have accomplished. So that's, that's the part that's going to sit with me uh, probably for the rest of my life, just knowing that, man, that we lost a very brilliant mind, you know, for the game of basketball. And of course, with social media and today's climate, battle lines were drawn mm-hmm. and you had journalists that felt like they had to bring up 2003 and point out the flaws, their perceived flaws in this man's character amidst tragedy. And I want to get both of your thoughts on how journalists handle it, whether it was those that threw flowers at his feet, at his career, who he was post-basketball, and also showing the love to his family and his daughter, who also passed away with him in that tragic crash on last Sunday. And those that felt like it was their responsibility to tell the whole story and let everyone know the totality of this man, even in the midst of a tragedy. So I had two problems, <clears throat> like just from, you know, just from a general journalism aspect and from a sports journalism aspect, you know, from a general journalism aspect, you know, anytime something happens, um, you know, and we saw it recently with Derrick Rose, you know, when he had the 50 point game and everybody was celebrating him. And, you know, people was like, oh, yeah, you know, but don't forget about this. You know what I'm saying? Like, this just happened and yada, 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 you know. And then you get all these people going in talking about, you know, this and that. You know, I'm not going to even use the word because, you know, this ain't even that. You know, this ain't the, the, the setting of the time for that. But, you know, you know, people saying things and, you know, it. it's always amazing when, you know, in the mix of, you know, something monumental happening. You know, if someone had done something or had some kind of flaws, like that's somebody's first, like, immediate go-to is to bring that up, you know, and, and it's it's just disappointing in that aspect. But then you talk about this situation where you're talking about the finality of death, 
you know, of not just for Kobe, but like his daughter and seven other people. And for that to be your first default and your go-to, this is inappropriate. It just really is, you know, and, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people who is fine with the whole story being told, mm-hmm. but not right then. Like that's not the time or the place for it. It's just, it's just completely inappropriate and it's wrong. You know, so that's just from the general aspect, you know, just from the general journalism aspect. From the sports journalism aspect, you know, I had a problem with, I had a big problem with this, actually. You know, for the past, you know, almost seven, eight, maybe the, like the last 10 years of Kobe's career, there was this whole, like, teardown campaign of how he wasn't good anymore, you know, based on numbers and statistics and how he wasn't clutch, you know, and all this based on numbers and, 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 and statistics. And, you know, you see these rankings and, you know, you see Kobe, like, you know, not in the top, whatever, I can't remember specifically, but like he wasn't, you know, he was way down there and it was just like super disrespectful. And it was just all based on, you know, these numbers and these statistics and these people, you know, made their names, you know, and quite frankly, made a lot of money you know, doing that and pushing those narratives, you know, you've seen it happen with Melo, you know, where they basically try to write people out of the game, you know, based on this this arbitrary thing that has nothing to do with what goes on in between the lines. And, you know, for him to pass, and then you see some of those people all of a sudden talking about how great he was and, you know, this, that, and the other. It was just, it just felt really dirty. It felt really opportunistic. It felt really bad and it was wrong. And it just, what, you know, whatever little respect I had for those people, just in terms of just being in the sports, you know, journalism game, I lost it. I don't have any, you know what I'm saying? Because I'm the type of person that, yeah, you know, it's fine, you know, for you to recognize the human side of it and the loss from that aspect of it. But if you spent 10 years talking about how the man couldn't play anymore, how he wasn't good and, you know, how he, you know, was bad and this, that, and the other. Don't don't flip that, you know, on his death and then talk about, oh, I always knew he was great. No, you didn't. And even if you did, you didn't say it. So it don't mean nothing now. So for me, that was just that was just really disgusting and it was gross. And I'm not gonna name those people. I know who they are. I ain't got nothing for them, man. Nothing. All the analytics people, I'll say it. Everybody. All the analytics people. <laughs> Every single one of them. That were on the Kobe Kill Kobe campaign with that number crunching. They definitely were false flagging all last week. C4, what are your thoughts, man? As I said, the battle lines are drawn. And, uh, you know, being in the media and being a journalist, I don't have a problem you dealing with the responsibility of telling the entire story. Yeah. But the timing of everything, yeah. it, everything just kind of felt forced and self-serving Some for some people. Like, they just felt like they had to get this point across. It had to be told right now because yeah. a disservice is being done to this person that was a victim back in 2003. And it, it just all felt, to, at, at the time, it just felt poorly timed and disrespectful to the yeah. event. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think a uh, big part of that is just timing. I mean, it was so fresh for somebody and you're dealing with that cloud of disbelief and just immediately immediate sorrow. And then you're thinking about 
you know, his family, you're thinking about the families involved. I just think it's kind of an inopportune time to, you know, stand on the soapbox and say, oh, yeah, but, you know, let's not forget about 2003. I think it's like that when you try to, you know, create, you know, now this soapbox to stand on right then and there, so fresh after the death. I think that's just the wrong time. I mean, because, I mean, when you look at things in its totality, like, I think, that's that's part of his story i mean there's no one is going to erase that i mean and i don't think he tried to you know erase it at all he was one guy that publicly acknowledged what happened it's going to court settled and all that stuff but then you look at you know i think even more so having gone through that experience i think and then having like four girls like on top of that i think a large part of everything from change like after going through that experience and i don't know just i think just at the timing the timing is right after somebody passes it's not a good time to like bring up you know this you know bad period of their life you know just to create you know a platform to stand on and champion i guess i mean i'm all for women's rights and everything but you know right then and there just to so fresh like if you want to write the obituary how complicated this guy's like life was in the beginning like yes go ahead like no one no one can erase that and no one is trying to but yeah not right you know after you know death should it just be blasted like that just from a journalistic standpoint at all yeah i call it like being like a tragedy opportunist man like you know what i'm saying yeah. like Okay, here's you know here's the situation, and, and you know here's something that's going on that's going on that everybody is paying attention to. Let me say this, like man, th- you know, don't do that, man. Like don't do that because I even said it. I'm like, yo, like man, we've all done and said things that it would just be horrifying if people found out about. You know what I'm saying? So it's like just because a public fit, you know, you have somebody like that whose life is lived in the public eye, and so you just you know you automatically know more about they dirt than you would the average person. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. but that ain't none of your business. And, you know, and even if it is public knowledge, like respect the situation, like respect the fact that a man and his daughter just died. What happened 16 years ago has no relevance of what happened, what's going on in this situation right now. I mean, it's just quite frankly, don't nobody want to hear that. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't nobody want to hear that. Not right now in this moment. We can talk about that, you know, as an aside. But let's just talk about what's going on and what's happening and, you know, how we all feel about it versus, well, yeah, you know, but don't forget this. Because, you know, at the end of the day, and, like, whether those people want to accept this or not, that situation is going to be a footnote to the person and the man that Kobe Bryant was like, that's, you know, that's just always going to be like one of them things like, yeah, you know, this happened too, but this man was so much greater than his mistakes. And that is something that I think people lose sight of, you know, you never want to be judged by the, you know, the bad things that you did or said, because everybody, you know, everybody does those things and everybody grows and, and they evolve from those things. You know, this man was about to be a champion of women's sports. Like he said it, if you watch the, the memorial he was like yo like i got four daughters so i have i have a responsibility to give women opportunities you know what i'm saying so it's like 
don't judge that man based off of that. Like, he knew what happened, and he knew how that situation affected people, and he knew how that situation affected the women in his own life, including his wife. He was trying to atone for that in the best way that he knew how. And you seen that happening. So I don't, you know, I you know, I just felt like it was just very unfair. And it was just it was just very inappropriate. It's amazing. I tweeted out that human decency doesn't choose sides. It just quite simply. Yeah. Like when something happens, just being decent as a human and just allowing the situation to take its course and for healing to take place before you go out and stand on your soapbox and preach the message that you feel like you want the masses to follow. I just felt like it was just done in poor taste uh, on a large level uh, all week long from what I saw. Now, I want to get to this point because both of you are established sports writers. And, and with that being said, responsibility versus choice in this situation and similar situations moving forward. Like, how do we judge writers with their approach to certain stories. And, you know, is this a situation where you're choosing to tell this part of this man's life or are you truly responsible to the rest of the world to make sure that they know that this is part of who the man is and who he was as well? I mean, I think it's, you know, it's an inextricable part of his story. You know, it's just like Derrick Rose, it's the same thing like that, you know, that happened, you know, you said this and, you know, whether, you know, whether we can make excuses for it and say, you know, well, we, you know, we kind of understand or whatever like that, you know, people are going to always judge, you know, judge you based on what you do. And so, yeah, it's, 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 it's going to always be a part of your story, you know, whether we feel like it's fair for it to be discussed or not. But, you know, again, you know, that should not be, the end all be all when you talk about a person in totality and you know and i think you know the amount of good like listen man the fact that the entire world knows about that situation follow that situation you know closely when it happened the fact that you still had women crying you know you still had girls crying you know what i'm saying like you still had people crying and you know and 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 feeling that loss in spite of all of that and so that just shows you just how much you know the man had redeemed himself in the eyes of the people and not just because he was good at playing basketball and he won championships but you know when he got on social media and he started opening up his life to people you know his his instagram account wasn't private you know what i'm saying like you can go to it and you know you could see him with his wife and you could see him with his kids and you could see how he was moving and you could see what he was doing. And it was just like, it was just beautiful to see because he's one of those athletes and one of those people that were just so misunderstood, but he was just starting to, you know, give you a glimpse into the human side of him. And, and it's really hard not to pull for people like that. You know what I'm saying? It's really hard not to pull for fathers you know, men who have daughters. He didn't have any sons, but he was doing the best that he could, you know, in supporting his little girls. And it's crazy because it's like he had his first two girls basically knew him as a basketball player. His last two was going to know nothing about that. You know what I'm saying? Like they was going to know a whole different side of their father. And that was just something that was just going to be great to see. So, yeah, man, you know, 
it's part of it. But that man was just so much more than that, man. And you know, like I said, I don't want to, I don't want to minimize it in any way. But he was just on his way to doing so many more, you know, so many more great things. That, like I said, it was just, it was just ultimately just gonna end up being a footnote in his story. And I, you know, and I don't mean that to be disrespectful to women in any way, but I'm just talking about like the legacy and the impact that he was gonna have post basketball, you know, and just on life in general. It was just, you know, it was it was just gonna be amazing to see. And it was just kind of, you know, people were gonna appreciate that more than, you know, trying to demonize him for his past. Yeah, I agree. I just think uh whenever you're talking about you know anyone, you know, you want to tell the full story. I mean if even if possible, like please give like the relevant details like of the case of, of things that did come out. I mean, but, you know, just choosing to, you know, shine a spotlight on, you know, this one, you know, bad, this one bad period, this horrible, like, accusation, um, you know, just in the face of, you know, a tragic death is not the way to go. But, you know, basically what BC said, no one... <laughs> on here would minimize that situation at all. I mean, because it's one of the most serious accusations, you know, out there. But, you know, just looking at after that happened and just how things started to change for him and even looking at, like, after basketball, like advocating for, you know, just the women's game. I think so much was learned from that period in time in his life, um, I think we need to need to tell the full story and not just, we're just gonna highlight this one part and then just gloss over everything else, you know, after that fact. So just as a journalist, I do believe that the full story needs to be told always. You know what, let me, let me, let me add on to that real quick. Cause I was watching uh, this morning, I was watching Muse and, uh, you know, obviously that's a Showtime documentary that he did, you know, when he was coming back from the Achilles injury. And, you know, he talked about that situation. And he said that, you know, his wife was pregnant at the time and the stress of it, she had a miscarriage, you know. And, and if you watch it, you know, it hurt him. He cried. You know what I'm saying? Like, he, you know, he felt like he said it. He's like, yo, this is my fault. And so, you know, we, you know, we don't pay attention to the pain that these, you know, that these situations, you know, cause so many other people around him, not just him, and you know, and and not just the person it happened to, but it just had like a ripple effect, and and he understood very clearly that he was at the center of all of it, and you know, he said like, "Yo, this is something I'm gonna have to carry for the rest of my life." So it wasn't like he was ducking and dodging from it; like he owned it and he knew that he had a responsibility to fix it. And I think that was something that, even though he never talked about it publicly, you know, I like to think that that was something that was driving him. When you're talking about, you know, the things that he's about to do for the women's game, you know, I said, "I'm like, man, the WNBA probably lost their next commissioner." <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, we don't know what he was gonna do. So it's just, it's just terrible, man. It's just really sad. As we close this out, where does he rank? Is he on your Mount Rushmore? Uh, he on two of my Mount Rushmores, man. He's definitely on the shooting guard Mount Rushmore. 
definitely on the shooting out Mark Mount Rushmore for sure. Um, but just personally, like he's in my, you know, he's in my top five, uh, you know, or, you know, whatever Mount Rushmore. But also in the shoe game, you know what I'm saying? Like, man, like last week, and I posted like a couple of days, like, you know what I'm saying? I wore Kobe's all week for my man. But like, I had Kobe's, like, people got mics. And I had mics too, you know what I'm saying? When they came out. And it was like, you know, when he went from, I never had none of the Adidas Kobe's. But when he went to Nike, and especially when he went low top, I had so many of them, man. And like, his shoes was just like the coldest. Like, the Kobe 6 and the Kobe 3, I'm sorry, the Kobe 6 and the Air Jordan 3 are like my top, my top three sneakers of all time. Like and we Kobe have to give him due credit, too. He, the impact of what we see now with players wearing low-cut shoes, the KDs, like that's all Kobe. Like no Everybody. one was really doing that low-cut look on the basketball court until we saw the Kobe's jump out. And then you ain't really seen too many ankle injuries, man. Like, no. I, and a lot of people, you know what I'm saying? Like, went low top. A lot of people went Kobe. It's like a lot of guys, you know, in the league was wearing mics. Like, people didn't really wear a mic like that when he was playing. Um, but like, even when Kobe was in the league, like a lot of guys around the league would wear his shoes while he was still playing. And like, it was just, it was just incredible to see. So yeah, man, he on, he on my Mount Rushmore on those two things. Just like in my personal top five players of all time. You know, obviously shooting guards ever he's second by far and just in the shoe game man like his his shoes was some of the coldest out uh yeah i mean definitely for me just in um people that actually watch play of course i mean and then i mean once we go to footwear i mean it's bar none i think after you know jordan you can literally argue like kobe is like second in Nike and folklore, you can put Penny up there as well. And then you can go into like Ken Griffey, Bo Jackson, all those. But I think Kobe is probably number two in Nike. And I, I remember when those low tops were first introduced, your first like mindset as a basketball player is thinking about, I got to protect my ankles. But when you look at what he was able to accomplish and now just the landscape of footwear in general now, I mean, it's, I don't think there's really too many people wearing high tops like any anymore at all. I mean, unless you're just a big or, you know, guys will wear low cut shoes and just put ankle braces on. So just and he was like one of the just the stories I heard from uh, like Eric Avar, who worked with Kobe and designers that work with Kobe, how fully immersed he was in the process of actual like actually helping design the shoe. I mean, this guy just had a different mindset. He wasn't just comfortable having like his own shoe with Nike at all. This guy wanted his imprint on that. And I think just going forward, what that line is gonna become with Nike, I'm very interested to, to see that as well, just as we go through the years and how they're gonna help basically keep his memory alive to the guys that are coming up now. We definitely would miss the basketball player, the man, the family man, the philanthropist, and the overall icon, better known as Kobe Bean Bryant. Mamba out. You're listening to According to Sources with BCSD and C4 right here on A2S Network. Welcome back in. 
reporting the sources. SD2 Mics, Chris Kason, C4 Dunk, and Brian Crawford. I always say Mr. Crawford D, man, but it's B underscore Crawford, four, number four, and D. 2020, the season thus far. It was dubbed as the season of Zion. Of course, he's injured. He misses up to four months of basketball. And the NBA is definitely making up for lost time because they're putting him on national TV as many times <laughs> as they can to make up for what they lost in marketing and definitely in TV time and sales and revenue from him being out. But I just want to ask you guys, what sticks out the most for you about this 2020 season thus far? Uh, for me, it's a couple things, man. I think probably the biggest, is the fact that, you know, you got the team with the best record in the league and the Lakers that don't really feel like the best team. You know what I'm saying? Well, actually, the Bucks have the best well, record yeah. in the league. Right now, 41-6, which is crazy. My bad. I meant best record in the in West. In the West, yeah. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying? They don't really feel like a championship team. Um, I think that's kind of ironic. Well, not ironic, but it's just, it's just, it's just weird, you know, just because they have that, you know, they have that, Makeup and they got LeBron and it seems like all of his teams for the past however many years have been built pretty much the same way. Um, <clears throat> the other thing for me that stood out is just the emergence of you know just a lot of the young guys. You know what I'm saying? You got a uh, what's the kid Devontae Graham in Charlotte, like been playing really well, like just out of his mind. Um, Trey Young, obviously. You know, really been, you know, just really been putting on the show. John Moran, um, you know, Shea Gilgis Alexander is just like reborn in Oklahoma City, just playing incredibly. Um, Zach, you know, got to give it up to Zach, man. Like just going out there and just putting on the show every night on a, on a terribly coached team. Um, you know, so it's it's been a weird season because like nothing like it's it's been a lot going on but like nothing has really stood out i don't think anybody has really separated themselves as of yet you know and you know you got the second half of the season coming and you know and then you know again it's just like how would the you know rest of the season play out you know with this hanging over the league so um it's just been a weird season, man. Like, I've enjoyed watching a lot of the games. You know, I've enjoyed watching Portland. I'm glad to see Melo is back in the league. Um, Dame has been playing out his mind for, like, the past week. Um, possibly that, you know, we do get to see some stuff this year. So, you know, it's it's been, you know, it's it's been good for me to be able to get back into watching basketball away from social media, just kind of enjoying the game again. So, you know, it remains to see how the second half play out. But, you know, the 20, you know, 2019-2020 season will just be one of those where it don't matter, but it really won't just because of what happened. So, you know what? Know you t- you touched on something. And C4, I want you to jump in on this and then give your thoughts on the 2019-2020 season. Basketball, more than any other sport, is so star-driven. And when there are stars out, when you have KD out, when you have Steph out, when you have Clay out, when you have Zion out for the games that he missed, you feel it. You feel it because the game of basketball is literally about its stars. And for me, I would say the season has just been, meh. Yeah. I mean, that's what it is, just meh. Uh, locally, we don't have anything to be excited about here in Chicago. 
And just overall in the league, you know, you search and scour each night on the pass, like, okay, where's Milwaukee? Okay, where are the Lakers? Where are the Clippers? It's like maybe three or four teams that you want to try and figure out where there are. If you like an individual player, you try to find a Trey at a 6.30 start, find D-Book at a 9.30 start, right? and try to watch that. But overall, as far as the league, yeah, it's definitely hurting. And then when you have big markets like New York, of course, Brooklyn has KD and Kyrie right now. But even Kyrie has been out with injury. He recently came back and dropped that 50 bag on the Chicago Bulls, but that's the last time I'm mentioning, mentioning them Shout on this podcast. Drew, man. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, man, it's just the loss and the missing of the stars, to me, has been the overall theme that stood out the first half of the 2019-2020 through season. C4, your thoughts? Uh, I mean, I look at it uh, differently. In terms of what stood out to me, I mean, it's just – you know, Giannis, first of all, what they're doing in Milwaukee is so – they've been so dominant, like both offensively and defensively, and, like, the numbers they're putting up, you know, in just a short amount of, like, actual game time, I think it's one of the most under – it's, like, so underrated and it's, like, going kind of unappreciated just because I think it is Milwaukee, and then you go to – what John Moran, what they've been able to do in Memphis. You go to Luka Doncic and Dallas, like what he, at only 20 years old, which is still, I keep saying that every time I see a highlighter here, it's just to remind myself that that kid is 20, but he's like a damn near like a six year vet, you know, just in terms of uh, the competition he's been playing at since early teens. But um, like BC said, it's, so good to see Melo um, back in the league and the fact that he had been ridden off to like the fact that, you know, when he has played well, like just initially, it was almost like it's a shock. It's like, man, this is what this guy does. I mean, this is what he's done his entire career. So it almost seems like he was reintroducing himself. But I, I don't think people paid attention to were judging his game based on different scenarios that he was put in in OKC and Houston Rockets. When you go from, when you go from having the ball taken out your hand to now you're basically just a floor spacer and you're not getting 19 to 22 shots a night, you're getting five to seven and they're like kickouts and you got to make four of those to even validate yourself. That's a difficult adjustment you know, for anybody. So it's been good watching them play um, LeBron and, you know, at 35, you know, still, you know, as dominant as he is, that's been great to see. But um, that's, there's so many great storylines to draw from, and I'm even more excited about the second half of the season just to see, because I think, you know, the, you know, just Kobe's death and how it's impacted people. I'm, I don't want to like put this out there, but I do see somebody going or trying to get to, you know, just that 80 eclipse, that 81, um, you know, whether it be James, there's a couple of guys that, you know, come to mind when I think about who could do that, who can get in the zone and stay locked in for that long. But I think the best basketball of the season is going to come from, you know, right after all-star just because I think, 
that whole all-star experience is going to be dedicated to Kobe's memory. And I think what that's going to translate into is to, you know, just better basketball for the second half of the season and going into the playoffs. So I'm really, really excited uh, for that. Some of the other things that recently recently have stood out, uh, they had the games in Paris, uh, mm-hmm. Charlotte, uh, Charlotte and Milwaukee, right? And uh, Bucks owner Mark Lazary was upset. He went up to Michael Jordan and asked him, you know, his thoughts about chasing after the 73 game record and, you know, whether or not they should do it. And Michael said, man, you know, honestly, I think you should just focus on trying to win the championship. And he got upset. And he's like, we're going we're going after both. We're going after the 73 <laughs> record and the championship. And it's like, man, you asked Mike. Exactly. Like, don't get upset right. because of his answer. You asked him. We're going to say go was, after 73. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. So that, that stood out to me. And also, uh, this is funny, but uh, a lot of players, of course, did things whether it was adding something to their shoes, writing something on their shoes, or changing jersey numbers um, to show respect and to honor one Kobe Bryant. Um, one rookie uh, who's playing for a New York team, uh, namely the Knicks, said that he's going to honor uh, Kobe by no longer come allowing on, people to call this. him no, the uh, Maple on, Mamba. <laughs> come on, man. You shouldn't look, R.J. Barrett. Said man, that no longer he will no longer allow people to call him the Maple Mamba. Listen, Dude, man, first of all, I didn't even know people called I, him the I, Maple I, Mamba. I hadn't heard, heard that. <laughs> it must and be a know, can, it must be a Canada thing. It has personal, to be a Canadian thing. Don't don't nobody call that man that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, and first of all, that's just a terrible name. And secondly, you know. In the podcast, where you know, where we memorializing and remembering Bean, this bomb should never even be mentioned. Man. So, nah, hey, bro, don't nobody call you things the, that stood out recently. On, Maple Mamba, that shit is trash. You don't have to bleep that. <laughs> <laughs> and in recent news, we bring it up and finish it off with Zion Williamson. Has he equal to what you thought he would be? coming back from this injury and not totally being in shape, you know, your thoughts on what you've seen from him so far? Man, I tell you what, that man gave me the best five minutes of basketball I've seen all year. <laughs> Opening night his even, first game. Oh, my God, that was yeah. crazy. That was, that was incredible. And I don't even lie, I probably hadn't watched him no more since. Um, but, you know, it is, you know, it's incredible, like, the amount of narrative pushing that's going on. Like, they're really trying to get him out there. Um, I'm just glad to see the kid back on the court. He just looks super overweight to me, man. Like, it's just, I don't know. He's just carrying so much weight on his body. And I just hope he just makes it through the season, with, you know, with no setbacks and he's able to finish strong. But, you know, I think it's just going to be weird to see, like, you know, if he does play the second half of the season, like the whole rookie of the year thing, how, how you can just kind of see how they're just going to kind of ramp him up. You think they're going to try to snatch it from Ja? Oh, man. They're trying to snatch it? I think they're going to make it close. You know what I'm saying? Like if John, you know, like the Grant Hill, uh, Jason Kidd thing. Listen, if Zion plays a healthy second half of the season, I definitely think it's gonna be close, close, and I think they're gonna try to take it from John. So that's the only thing I don't like. But you know, just from a basketball standpoint, like it's good to see. You know, it is for me. It's kind of like the luster is already gone because like you came back and what was it like January? You know what I'm saying? So it's kind of late. We already had the first half of basketball, but. 
you know, it's just good to see the kid out there, you know, and New Orleans is right down the road from me a couple hours. So good to see a little so hype. You're back in between <coughs> you're in between two hotbeds. You're right in between Memphis and Both of them. New Orleans. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know That's what? Your thoughts, cool. you just said that you felt like Zion was a little overweight and you had one of the best tweets when you said John Moran is twenty pounds away from being a superstar. Oh man, my goodness. It's crazy. <laughs> All that man got to do is stay on the training table. And just stay in the weight room. And once he like really like everything he's doing is just really like natural. Like you see it. Like even like looking back at like a young Kobe, like he hadn't even really gotten the weight room. So everything he was doing is just natural. But like once he developed his body and you know, he just started to get stronger and more explosive, that's when his game really shined. And I think that's what you're gonna see with Jock. Cause man, he almost cleared Kevin Love, man, like as a kid. So just imagine in a couple years, you know, just going through that you know, the rigors and the grind of the NBA and going through that that league strength and conditioning program, how much better he's going to be. So, yeah, man, 15, 20 pounds, <laughs> the man's going to be a monster. He's flying all over the place now. Yeah, and even just looking at uh, my initial thoughts of Zion, is, I mean, they're putting, they're putting him at the five, and that causes just what I've seen. That causes so many mismatches because there's not a big in the league who can – like stay with him and he's stronger than a lot of guys. I mean, the weight issue is, I think it's going to be the story of at least, you know, the first couple of years of his career. But I mean, it's not like this guy's like, like fat. Not that's track, that's the trailer just, out there, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's yeah. crazy. Like, I don't, I can't, everybody like throws out comparison. I don't think we've seen anything physically like that. I mean, the closest comparison, you could name Charles Barkley, you can name Larry Johnson, but like, they weren't moving like this. Like, their game was like power. There's like a a fluidity in like Zion's game, which I, I, I can't compare it to because the things this guy is able to do once he's in the air, just how swift and quick his feet are. Yeah. Also, it's like an anomaly. Like, there's no way you're supposed to move like that at that size. And I still think just the weight issue is, I mean, he's 19 years old. So you're telling him like he loses 20 pounds, but I still think like he's growing at the same time too. So that's the, the difficult part in this. So I do know one thing I like um, New Orleans, like strength and conditioning coaches, they got their work cut out for them for like the next 10 to 15 years, because just trying to, get his mechanics correct as far as walking, running, cutting, like that's that's going to be a full-time job. Like that's not even, that's going off the court now because you're trying to basically retrain mechanics he's had for all his life up to this point. So, but I just know one thing, like he, it's so much fun watching him and like you got to be accountable when he's on the floor at all times. And it's not like, He's bringing the ball up all the time. He has like great facilitators and Drew and uh, Zoe is out there playing uh, great. But I mean, this a kid is a treat to watch. I mean, and you guys brought up rookie of the year com the convo, and we can't forget about you know Chicago's own Kendrick Nunn and what he's doing out there. Absolutely in Miami. I mean, you know, Jai is the highlight, but like Kendrick's been like a quiet assassin. I think he actually leads rookies in total points. Uh, not point per game, which I think Ja has right now. So 
Uh, shout out to Kendrick Nunn, who's killing it in Miami. Yeah, him and his partner in crime, Tyler Hero. They've been oh, like yeah. the Crockett and Tubbs. White there, boy Brick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, All-Star Weekend, just about, what, eight days away. Really seven days away yeah. from jumping off in Chicago. Zach Levine had this this to say after he found out that he wasn't going to be on the All-Star team. So obviously right there, Zach Levine said that there aren't 12 players in the East better than him, which is a bold statement by him. Uh, Bradley Beal, averaging 28 points uh, this season. I believe he's third in the league. He was also not nominated to the All-Star team for the Eastern Conference. Give me your biggest All-Star snubs. I already, BC, I already know your boy Book. That's your guy. We can get him out the way. Other than Devin Booker for you, what's the uh, biggest All-Star snub? For me? Probably uh probably Brad Bill. Like man, like what he putting up, twenty eight, something crazy. Yeah, twenty eight. You know what I'm saying? And like even though they not good. See the thing about the all star well, first of all, like the numbers is kinda weird because, you know, just because of the you know, the rules of the league or whatever, you know, is everything is just more free flowing and so offense is kinda like a thing of the day. So the numbers can be a little skewed, but it's just a little, you know, for me, it's just a question of how do they pick? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, what decisions do they make? And I really think they need to go back to either full positions, because I, I just hate this new, you know what I'm saying, front court, back court thing. I hate that. It's, just, it's stupid. Because, you know, if you have, like, actual positions, like, it's a lot of guys. Like, I don't think – Rudy Gobert should be an all-star. Like, I'm not, you know, it's the ultimate pickup game. Like, why you want to see that dude? You know what I'm saying? And so I think if you go back to positions, it kind of changes a little bit. But Bradley Beal is probably like the, you know, for me in the East, the biggest snub. I think Zach should have made it too, you know, just because, just off GP. You know what I'm saying? It's just in Chicago. Just because Chicago, yeah. Yeah, like, you know, you got, you know, you got Derek participating in the skills contest, but then past that, like, the home team is just not represented. I just think that's just wrong and no, you, know, you, got got Wendell, you got Wendell Carter and the rookie. Who? Yeah, but he yeah, but he won't be playing, so <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like who? You got... <laughs> yeah, no. Nah, now Wendell was so, having a decent season, bro. Before he got I don't, I don't really care. Wendell Carter Jr. You know what I'm saying? Just don't sorry. C4. Yeah, yeah um biggest all star snubs um well, I think, I mean, Brad, Zach, all those guys are deserving. I mean, and even going to Zach's comment, he's supposed to feel like that. I mean, and, you know, trying to, you know, putting the team on your back every night, you know, with you like you look at the injuries, you look at, you know, I think Laurie probably was dealing with, you know, injuries for a majority of the season. Before. And I want to give you credit because – I think it was before the season or early on in the season, the last time we had a podcast, you alluded to something a little more going on. And you said you wanted to reach out and talk to Larry about yeah. it. And now we see that it has been um, something that he's been trying to fight through and deal with. So hopefully for a speedy re- uh, recovery and return. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, you, I think what, needs to happen i think each year you're going to have three to four guys who are deserving like of all-star consideration um but 
somebody's going to be left off and somebody's it's always going to be like three to five guys that are pissed that they I mean when you look at wins I mean Jalen Brown I mean is uh deserving on the Celtics I mean there's so many guys that you can point to that are deserving that aren't going to make it I don't know what needs to happen maybe you maybe have the 12 best players in there let's if we're talking about this as a positionless game, let's get the 12 best players in the All-Star game. But after that, really hoop, really hoop. That's like one thing that always like everybody's upset about who's left off. But when the game starts, like hoop, right. play, don't, compete. don't yeah. yeah, compete. Like that's what the All-Star game is about. It's about literally guys trying to show like, Hey, out of all of these players, like I'm that dude. And that hasn't been the case for the last we go back to the last All-Star game Kobe was in when D Wade broke his nose. I always point to that's the reason why guys have like eased up over the last few years. But But Kobe wasn't even mad about that. No, he wasn't mad, but I think just that that alone, that happened in the fact that a guy got his nose broke in that that kind of just all right. All right, let's say hey, let's just take it easy out there. I don't know what needs to happen to get guys to actually care about what's going out there on the floor because it is an exhibition game. But I mean, it's been so bad to where, like, just listening to the crowd reactions of certain things, there's like you can hear people talking in right. the crowd, right? Like, there's no oohs, ahs, there's no, I mean, I'm going back to that, I can't remember what year that was, it might have been. 2002, I think it was in New Jersey, the game where the East came back and beat the West behind. That was Alan DC, Iverson. right? Was that DC? Yeah, D- DC. It was DC, in DC. Yeah. It was in DC. But going back to that, you want those memories, like because if you can't even tell me, like going back the last five years, who was in, who was the MVP of this All Star game? It, it like it has no like significance like it used to. That DC all. game was the last good all-star games I can remember. But you know what? You say something right there, and I'm let you guys just kill this, man, and then we can just end it right here because this is a perfect way to end it because this pretty much epitomizes, like, the legacy of Kobe Bryant and the players that came in with him. They were the last bastion that pointed back and connected to what most people call the golden era of the NBA. And what connects to Michael Jordan. And that's who they tried to emulate. And what they brought to their era. I say this. Their All-Star Games meant something because it was the beginning of exposure for NBA players. You have to realize in the 80s when you have somebody like Fat Lever who doesn't have a lot of nationally televised games. hit The All-Star Game, is his, his, that's his chance for the rest of the world to know who he is. So he's going to go out there and compete against Isaiah Thomas on the Eastern Conference. And when you had that and you didn't have as much exposure, you had players in the 80s and the 90s taking it a little bit more serious because they were trying to stake their claim and create their brand in the All-Star game. It's not the same anymore. Players don't have to do that. They don't have to come and prove themselves on the All-Star game platform yeah. And at that level anymore. And it kind of, as you said before, it's taken away from the game. And I think the last time we saw that 
was 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003 was in Los Angeles. I remember how competitive that game was um, at Staples because I was there. And we've just lost the luster of the All-Star game because it's just too much exposure. These kids, we know these kids. We knew Zion Williamson. <clears throat> BC, you and I sat on State Street in Jared Payton Studios and watched videos of Zion Williamson. And we both said at the same time, like, huh, he's done, you know, he's dunking on these little kids in South Carolina. Like, <laughs> yeah, all right. Th- all right. Well, exactly. <laughs> you know? And now it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, like, it's the real deal. And I just think it's just way too much exposure. These kids have brands and millions of followers on all social media platforms before they even step foot into the NBA, before they shake the hand of the commissioner, and before they play their first game. So when it comes already famous. So when it comes to the All Star game, that's just like a paid vacation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what, man, I'll say this, you know, since we talking about the All Star game, we're talking about being, you know, I just remember um I don't I don't even know which one it was, but I just remember it was the end of the game, it was very close, and LeBron had the ball, <clears throat> and Kobe was matched up with him. <laughs> and LeBron passed it off, and Kobe was like, I think it was Kobe and Melo that got yes. on, like, damn, man, just shoot the ball. You know what I'm saying? He like, seized the moment, man. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, And and this was, like, during the whole narrative, you know, at the time, like, LeBron just didn't want to shoot the ball, and it was like, you know, Kobe was trying to, like, just even, you know, impart on him, like, just the importance of just taking it over. Like, especially when you're the man, like, we giving it to you. Like, I'm giving it to you. Like, bro, like, it's me and you. Me and you, come on, let's do it. Like, that's just kind of how it was set up. And LeBron passed it off. And so, you know, that's just that that's just kind of like, you know, just for me, man, just like you talk about the All-Star game, like, that's just, like, one of my last, like, Kobe memories. Like, you know, the Toronto thing, that was cool. But, like, that was the last time, like, I remember to do, like, just actually just being competitive and getting after it. And so, you know, and, and I hope that these guys, you know, with the new format, you know, obviously everybody's wearing number two for Gianna and number 24 for Kobe, and they playing for charities in the quarters. I know y'all know about the rules and everything like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, you know, at first I didn't like it. But, you know, as I, you know, as I said, you know, kind of thought about it, you know, if those guys really get into the spirit of, you know, trying to win it for Kobe charity or trying to win it for Gianni charity and, you know, and they really compete, I think it would be a good thing. But, um, you know, the game has lost a little bit, you know, and I just think that, you know, they should just really just get back to competing, you know. And, you know, as we talk about a guy like Kobe Bryant who, relish that moment playing in the All-Star game. Like I said, you know, the ultimate pickup game and just being able to, you know, show off his game and being able to prove that he was one of the best in it and just playing in the spirit of it. I think we need to get back to that. So, you know, I just hope to see, you know, this year that guys play, you know, just with that spirit and, you know, with that mindset and just, you know, with the memory of Kobe, man. And, you know, that's just all I got to say, man. Long live being. Play like it's a sick, not a sick, I'm sorry. Play like it's a Red West matchup. Right. Literally, like a CPS Red West matchup, old school Manly versus Marshall or something. Yeah, I mean, you don't, want it, to get, you don't, you don't want it to get to that. No, like, I'm just but, saying minus, yeah, but, you know, minus the yeah. altercations and everything. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just talking right. about like right. the minus intensity. The throwing of, right, minus the intensity the throwing of in the competition. Right. There we go. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, you just want them to take 
care about like just just like if you if you're the best if you consider yourself the best you want them to care about that i mean I, like i said i don't know if they need to go back to east versus west and this pickup thing they're doing now because i mean that there, there needs to be some level of like care because i mean that's like you can go to the drew league and get a get a better, get a better run yeah get a better, better, yeah. Get a better uh, product yep. and that's been put on and these are the best of the best out here there's no reason why you should leave and that's that's that culminates everything about the all-star weekend like the fact that you're looking forward to the dunk contest more than the actual the highlight of all-star weekend it just needs to get back to you know being like what it was i mean you made great points about why it has gotten to this level because i mean i can go back just a few years ago where like it looks like where it looked like well guys were really affected by losing games and now you know guys will lose a game it's like all right well got got two more this week we we cool and i think a lot of that goes to the aau culture of guys playing six games you know in a weekend and them not really counting for anything there's all these tournaments throughout the course of the regular high school season so like there's like not a importance on actual winning now and i think that's just trickled down to it but the fact that this is the marquee game that highlights the best of the best in the world like there needs to be like some type of care you know put into that uh, and that should reflect on you know just how the game is played you still want to put on the show don't get me wrong right like i mean guys are laying down on the court all the guys are letting people just shoot threes like no man it's like hey if you're if you're gonna like take take your one-on-one matchup personally like nobody's getting off on me like that's how it should be yeah so i'm hoping just with um just a tribute to kobe and the game being played you know with him in mind it does get back to that because i mean we looked at when he first his first all-star appearance he went right at mike Right, right. Because he Mike. was coming off, he was coming off the bench, man. Like yep. he got voted, he got voted in by the fans. He, you know, so yes. like the people wanted to see Kobe versus Mike. That was cold. You can you imagine? I don't think we can you imagine as an eighteen like every we've all grew up hoping and like just maybe even like putting ourselves in those positions. Could you imagine that eighteen year old how idolized and revered Mike was at eighteen years old? To have the mentality to go at that guy like that, like that's ridiculous. That's still ridiculous to me. We look at what he's able to accomplish, and that's kind of like you know pushed off. But for an eighteen-year-old to go against like the best in the game, the way he was, like that's that's remarkable to me. Man, are you talking about idolizing, man? Let me say this, and you know, I gotta, I got, I gotta shout out to you know to the boy Stephen Jackson, man, because like if you've really been watching you know everything if you've been watching him since everything that's happened and i don't know if y'all seen the all the smoke you know saying the podcast on him and kobe um you know you talk about idolizing like that man was one of his peers yeah and was a, a super fan of kobe bryant like all of us like like a fan like he had never even played in the nba before you know what i'm saying and so to you know to to watch him go through that man and just like see it man it was just 
it was just really touching because it was like it was people that like was his peers that like idolized him. Like you seen so many people come in the league saying like, "Yo, this is the dude whose respect that I wanted." You know what I'm saying? Like, this is the guy who I wanted to know my name and you know wanted to know who I was. And it was like these, are, you know, like these a lot of these guys was his age, a very close in age, and like he was already like kind of revered as the man. So it was it's just like. It was just really special, man. You talk about just idolizing. That just made me think about that because I've been thinking about Steven Jackson all week because I've just been watching him, man. And, like, he was just so happy, you know what I'm saying, to be hanging out with Bean like, you know, any of us would have been. So that was that was just super cool to see, you know, mm-hmm. from somebody being from that era and being of that same age but recognizing that greatness early and just, you know, wanting to celebrate and bask in it. So that was real dope. And the connection that they yeah. had like that whole mcdonald's aau connection they had like even with rip and the video that rip had of them when they were walking around during that their senior seasons and just seeing that is like man this is cold but man he's cool as hell yeah, like he's cold dude, and this man. is one thing i said i said man mike is the goat <clears throat> but mike was kind of untouchable exactly you know what i'm saying mike really you couldn't touch mike you know what I'm saying? There's a few players yeah. in the league he rock with, but that's about it. Cole was just came across as very accessible. Man, I found a video Man. where this dude was on the set of Moesha doing an interview with Brandy, talking about her going on his prom and them dating. And he had just been in LA like a month or two. And I had even I just totally forgot that they even had a relationship like that. So then my mindset went to Man, I wonder how she's feeling today. You know what I'm saying? After she found out. It's just you see all of these connections and everybody he was really cool with. And it's man, just like, yo. Chris can attest one. to this. Chris can attest to this, man. The last time Kobe came through Chicago on his farewell tour. You know what I'm saying? Like we, you know, we had seen the man come through quite a few times before that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. One of the time he was hurt and he didn't play. But um, you know, this last time when he came through. Man, like he was just seemed so happy, man. And like he was just he was just happy to just talk to anybody who wanted to talk to him. You know what I'm saying? Like shake hands with anybody who wanted to shake his hands, take a picture with anybody who wanted to take his picture. It was just like he was just he was just completely opened up. And it was like, you know, before like you would see him, like you didn't really want to bother Kobe. Like, especially like not before the game, but you know, and afterward he was always cool, but you just, you know, you didn't wanna, you know what I'm saying? And he just didn't want to, you know, mess with him a little bit. But this, you know, that last time, man, it was just like he was just completely just guards down, walled down, like whatever. It was cool. You know what I'm saying? Like this is the last time I'm here. So whatever y'all want, I got it. And, you know, the man just stood like after the game, like for a long time, just talking to any and everybody, man. It was just it was just super dope to see. So it's, you know. It's a, it's a, it's, I said it a couple times, man. It's a, it's, it's just a great loss. It's for everything that just stopped like that, because you just seen where it was going and what it could have been. Yeah, I mean, definitely that last time. Even just, I always say this, um, and doing this for I think eleven years now. Just like uh, my thing was always going to the United Center when you know that press gate opened up at three thirty. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, you got so many hours before tip-off at seven. Like, there's only been two players that have beat me, like, there, 3.30, and that are on the court shooting. 
one of those is Ray Allen. The other one is Kobe Bryant. Like, I'll never forget, you know, broke his, um, like, the tip of his index finger on the shooting hand. Like, a couple games before that, they was playing around with this rap on his fingers just to try and get him comfortable with, you know, just the feel of the ball. And, you know, I get there at 3.30, sit my stuff down, I go out to the court, and I hear ball dribbling. At the time, I'm thinking, like, okay, that's just probably the pregame entertainment, warming up, go out there, and it's Kobe. Full sweat. I can't remember who he was work. I can't remember who he was work. Uh, who the assistant coach is, but full sweat, like, game action moves. Like, he's going through all of his little routine in game action. It is 3.30. I sat down and watched him for 45 minutes. He's coming off the court. I trail behind him. And I don't want to mention these Bulls players' name, but they're coming, you know, from their, from the parking lot, you know, going through the tunnel. And they see Kobe in a full sweat. He kind of looks at them and then, like, you know, continues on to the locker room. When I say fear, I saw fear <laughs> in actual people's eyes. They look like, what is this dude doing here this early? He's already coming off the court in a full sweat, like fear, like complete fear. You saw it. They went from talking and laughing to like, like oh shit. And man, they, man beat, they beat them there in their own building. Man, that dude came out the first quarter, dropped 20, ended with 42. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, man, it's crazy. All the stories you hear, all that all true. about the unforeseen hours, like everything about Everything that you hear about his work ethic, his drive, all of that is true. So, I mean, that's one of the memories that I have for Kobe that, you know, I'll always hold on to just because, like, he's one of the only guys that I've seen, like, guys like, damn, like, they're scared of him. And then the crazy thing about that game is, like, after they wrapped his feet, he went to Milwaukee the next night and hit the game, game winner. the game winner. <laughs> hit the game yeah. winner. With that wrap on his finger, on the index yeah. finger, man. Crazy. He's a bad man. It's been an honor to live, experience, and even today to honor and talk about the life of Kobe Bryant, man. I said before, there'd never be another one like him. According to sources, from my guy C4 Dunk, from my guy Brian Crawford, follow them at B underscore craw number four D at C four dunk and I am Sean Davis at SD two mics as always three dudes that love the game from the game talking about the game peace out.